Hello and welcome to the fourth, is yes. it fourth? Yeah, fourth episode of Her Moment in History, the podcast. Exciting Ooh. stuff. I'm Grace. I'm Michelle. Uh, welcome and, back. Yeah, welcome <laughs> back. And this week, uh, well, actually, despite the fact I've done the research, I'm still unsure as to what the theme for this week was. Well, we got it from an article that says the women who made the New York art scene. So I feel like you had someone you really wanted to speak about and you were like, we're going to make a theme that fits yes. that person. Because it's kind of niche, but... Very niche, yeah. I mean, I've heard of some of the people in it. I had heard of none of them. I mean, I've heard more of the galleries that their names yes. are associated yeah. with, rather than them themselves. Mm-hmm. Exactly, because I didn't know anything about the person that I'd researched. Ooh, so I know it was quite exciting to be able to research them but I was mm. going through quite a lot of it and reading things and it, <laughs> I knew it was meant to be important within the area and linked to other yeah. things but I was like yep I don't know <laughs> who these people are I'm just gonna say it to start off mm-hmm. there's like names that we don't know how to pronounce because mm-hmm. they're from all over the world and we don't mean any disrespect we're just <laughs> trying our little best <laughs> all right so who's going first this week you I'm going first. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So the person I've done was Abby Aldrich Rockefeller. Ooh. I know. It went for the big name. So uh, born in 1874 as Abigail Green uh, Aldrich in Rhode Island uh, to Senator uh, Nelson Wilmarch Aldrich and Abigail Pierce Truman Chapman. Ooh. Lots and lots of names there there is. in the family. Yeah. There isn't mine too. Oh gosh. I don't... Oh wait, no, there isn't. That oh. was just something I read earlier. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> uh, she was the uh, sister to Congressman uh, Richard Steer Aldrich and financer, financier? Financer? Which one's right? Financier? I don't know. I don't know. Either. Uh, Wilthrop Williams Aldrich. Sorry, you've just taken a sip of your tea and you look really annoyed with it. It was very hot. It oh. was too hot. Okay. <laughs> I just burnt my tongue. It was a sight. It was, it was nice. <laughs> um, she, was, uh, she got her education from uh, Quaker governess. Um, and then... <laughs> sorry, you're not nursing your tongue. <laughs> yeah, because my skin is colder. You made to put your burn on your coldness. Okay, it did just look like you were licking your hand, though. <laughs> <laughs> this is going really well. I know, right, so, so, got her education from a Quaker governess. Ooh. Right, uh, and then in 1891, so age 17, I had to do all the Ooh. maths beforehand, so I wasn't well done. stuck. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> when she was uh, 17, she then went to Miss Abbott's School for Young Ladies in Rhode Island. Ooh. I know, quite fancy. There she studied a lot of uh, subjects, so English, German, French, art history, Ooh. literature, ancient history, gymnastics and dancing. Why don't we do that? Well, I mean, we like looking at the list, though, to be fair, like we, we study the history and literature and we study a language. I'm not going to say to what you know, extent. That's because the British education system is not the best. I know, especially when it comes <laughs> to languages. Um, and we do, like, PE, but, like, to me, the glaring, like, absence of maths Yeah, it's very list. gendered. Yeah. List, which is problematic. Languages, history, and gymnastics and is the main one. history, yeah. too. I wish we'd learned that, then. You're really bitter, aren't you, about your... <laughs> I know, I feel like I've missed out on a lot. Because you didn't do ancient history and, uh, and art history. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. So, uh, during this time, uh, so in her, like, teenage years and late teenage years, she developed an interest in the avant-garde artwork. 
Oh, I know the avant-garde. Your my your love nemesis at the moment. I know. So after graduating, she then went uh, travelling. Uh, she says here she went travelling to places in Europe and Asia, and then it listed where she'd gone travelling to. So none gonna... of them in Asia. None of them in Asia. <laughs> <laughs> she went travelling to uh, England, uh, Germany, Belgium. Okay, for some reason I've put the people and the and the places as a list here. Uh, Belgium, the Netherlands, Switzerland, Italy, France, and Austria. None of them are in Asia. I don't know why it says. Did she not go to France? Uh, and France. I'm, I I didn't read that one of the list. Yeah, and France. <laughs> uh, I also misspelled Switzerland on my list, so it's going well. But no one. It's all. It's audio. They can't see. I know, I just felt I needed to announce my shame. (laughs) In uh, 1894, when she was 20, she met her husband, John Davidson Rockefeller Jr., who was the co-founder of Standard Oil. No, sorry, the only son of the co-founder of Standard Oil. So, senior was a co-founder. So, it's a lot of money. So, is the Rockefeller Center sponsored by an oil company? I assume so. Oh. You look devastated. I know, I thought it was, like, I don't know, more interesting than, like, capitalism. Well, I think that's what most things come down to, I'm afraid, in terms no. of sponsorship. It's a tragic, tragic world. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry to have to break it to you. I don't know if that's actually, like, for fact, but I just know that's kind of what they were involved with. I should probably should have looked up the Rockefeller more whilst mm. doing this, the Rockefeller family. Yeah, but it's all... about her, so it's fine. Yeah, so but she in in marrying him, she like got a lot of money from mm. that. Um, but they had a very lengthy engagement, so they met then, but they didn't get married until ooh, six years later. No, seven years later. Bloody hell! During their engagement, they uh, were invited to Cuba oh. to spend time on President William McKinley's yacht. Nice. I know what an engagement. Uh, present right right i know (laughs) Uh, and then they married then in uh, 1901 so seven years after i thought you meant in cuba no no they went to cuba in 1900 so they might have you know stayed there got married there they didn't actually i know that for a fact (laughs) they I, i can't actually remember where it was i did read it i think it was in new york the rockefeller family owned this place and they got married there yeah not quite i don't think i'm gonna google it because (laughs) i just want to know the wedding was a huge event um and it took place in front of thousands of like elite people so i know massive have you found it you look very confused it says it's noted for the large quantities of art present in almost all of its art deco buildings okay it's also famous for its annual lighting of the rockefeller center christmas tree Oh, very exciting. Ooh. Did that answer any of your questions? I thought it was a sporting ring. So did I. I am... I feel like my whole world has changed. Because it's not a sporting ring, it's actually a place that... How many people died during the building of it? Oh my god, when was oh. it built? The other British which had five deaths. Five? <laughs> Do I have oh. any context as to what you're reading? When was it built? So, <laughs> I, it doesn't say. It's just... um. The whole thing is about um, construction products that have killed people. Oh, so, so light-hearted stuff. Mm-hmm. So there was among 3,400 3, workers during construction. Nope, that's the Empire State Building. Oh my God. 
Okay, this is very... We've got very off topic. Yeah, we have. But this is really interesting. 60 many... people died from the World Trade Center construction. Whoa. I, was I thought you meant overall. I was like, I think a lot more people died relating to the World Trade Center. Than well, even more that. now. Yeah. That we know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I... Because you can buy tickets. To the Rockefeller Center? Yeah. It's a historic landmark in the heart of Midtown manhattan i'm just like if there's any like americans listening to this they're just gonna hate us yeah absolutely (laughs) screaming (laughs) (laughs) oh it's i think it's an art museum art gallery so not sport why do we both think it was to do with sport yeah anyway (laughs) they uh so they uh, they lived in a house in New York. I think they lived their entire lives in New York. Um, one of the houses, it's got all the street names and things like that. So this was 13 West 54th Street, mm. right? Because the way they do streets. Um, and they lived there from 1901 to 1913 whilst they were waiting for their nine story house to be built. That was like three doors down. So number 10. Why do you need nine stories? Right? Like, this was painting out to be something like, oh, how amazing, you know? They had this space yeah. to themselves. I'm like, that's nine stories. I mean, I feel like four... Is extravagant. Is, is extravagant, but it's more manageable. Nine, just excessive. It's just ridiculous, isn't it? What do you just... Have you got, like, a whole flat on each floor? It's just like, yeah. all right, I'm fed up with you. I'm going up to six. See ya. That's almost like living independently, isn't it? But within the same, quote-unquote... Yeah. Maybe Place. it was very, very thin. And they just had one floor in each level. What? Like, I somehow doubt that because they were probably rich. <clears throat> yeah, they were minted. So then they moved to their, their new place, the nine-storey one, um, it, and lived there until 1938. Then they moved to a 40-room triplex in Park, on Park Avenue. Yeah. What is one of them? I assume it's pronounced triplex, actually, not triplex. But I don't actually know. Like, it, it, it's something I can't even... Because I assume that's huge. Well, I mean, isn't duplex a two-storey flat? So this will be a three-storey flat. Flat. Crazy. I know. I mean, that's a bit of a downgrade, isn't it? 40 rooms. Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, then they moved there in uh, 1938. They had six children... Uh, including the famed, quote, Rockefeller brothers, um, oh. who were big in business and financing. Mm. Uh, and then the eldest girl, who was called... Okay, see if you recognise the name. Abigail, Abby, Aldrich Rockefeller. Yeah, <laughs> Does that feel familiar? Comes back. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, when uh, the original, um, Abigail, Abby, uh, and... Oh, God, what was his name? I've lost it, I've lost it. Was it William? 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 John? <laughs> um, when they got married, he gave her um, a cheque. Uh, it doesn't say for how much, it just says a large cheque, right? It's like some kind of like wedding gift, I assume. Oh, but does it mean large cheque is in the size or in the amount? Yeah, it meant basically it was just for $1, but it was just the mm. size of a room. No, I assume it meant for a lot of money. <laughs> That's disappointing. It would <laughs> but, be much more interesting if it was the other. Yeah. But when he asked years later what she'd actually done with it, so he didn't actually ask until years later, she replied that she'd just given it away. Oh. And she gave it to the Young Women's Christian Association. 
very nice of her. I know. This is kind of another weird thing, but it's not really relevant to her, but I thought it was quite funny. So Abby's uh, sister was kidnapped in um, (laughs) in 1923 by bandits in China, right? So they did go to Asia. This is her sister. Oh, when she went. She went, yeah. But uh, Lucy's sister was a connoisseur of Asian art and noticed a carving of a flying fox in white jade on the what the like bandits um clothing mm-hmm. um and, and his sash and uh said that she wished they hadn't uh, taken away her money because she would have offered to buy it wow <laughs> i know <laughs> that's not really relevant to the rest of the story i just found it quite funny that's okay um so uh abby began collecting art uh, by contemporary artists in 1925 so she collected works by van gogh and i'm gonna pronounce all these names wrong degas yeah picasso and Toulouse Latrique? Latrique? Maybe, I, I'm not sure on that one. Okay, and uh, Rivera. Uh, she believed uh, that the like contemporary art also deserved the public platform, which I think a lot of people at the time were not very much in favour of, because it wasn't, no, yeah. yeah. It's kind of like the modern, I mean, even now we have this kind of stigma about contemporary art. Yeah. Yeah. And it was her who invited, so actually linking back to episode mm. two, uh, you know, I said uh, Frida and um, Diego went to the Rockefeller Centre. Oh, It yeah. was her who invited him to paint oh. the the mural at the Rockefeller Centre that had um, Lennon oh. in it, and that got destroyed. But, yeah, oh. it was her that invited him, yeah. So it makes me think it was less of a sports place if they invited two artists. Yeah. So that would be a bit odd. You never know. They might have done. Might I doubt it, but they, they might have done. Whatever sport. See, I'm just, I'm just thinking, you... like, uh, baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Because they have a lot of that in There must be something, like... Do you say, is there, is there a lot of that? I think there's a lot of baseball <laughs> in America, yeah. <laughs> I think I said there is a lot of that. Oh, right, I thought you were asking. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, there's... Because they don't have football, because it's soccer. Soccer, yeah. American football, which I feel like is a less extreme version of rugby, which I feel like I hope there's no American if I'm offending. Um, yeah, okay, we'll move on. Um, I mean, I'm not a fan of rugby either. Just, you fan of any sport? No, not mm-hmm. really. I mean, I kind of like the idea that golf, you play less golf to be more oh, good wow. at golf. It's very middle class, wasn't it? I quite like the idea of... <laughs> well, not like, I mean, it's all right to play, but I just like the concept that you play less golf to, to be earn more. good at golf. So if you're yeah. not very good at golf, you end up playing more golf. Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> um, so in 1928, mm-hmm. uh, she had an Art Deco suite uh, created for herself on the seventh floor of her house, a nine-story one, uh, and she called it the Top Side Gallery. Uh, so that allowed her to kind of show off her collection. So she would invite guests uh, mm. into the house and they'd take um, the lift straight to the seventh floor so that she just completely bypassed the family kind of area. Um, and then the news spread about this collection and it inspired other people to start co- you know, showing off their oh. collections as well. And when it says that they... Well, t- what did they do before they showed it off? Just keep it in just a cupboard? Just keep it, yeah. Oh, I'm sure the artists were thrilled. I know. Well, I don't know. I have kind of an issue with art collection. Me too, because there's like... 
I have a book that's a thousand and one paintings to see before you die. Mm-hmm. And I've been slowly going through it for like the past five or six years. Mm-hmm. And there's so, there's so many that say private collection. And I'm just like, What's the... so how am I meant to get access? Am I meant to contact the person who owns it, who I don't know? Yeah. And be like, um, so I need to look at this painting for it. A book that I have <laughs> My no own other reason. Yeah. Well, I don't know. To me, it's like, what, what is art kind of created for? And I know that's a very philosophical question, but yeah. is it not created to be looked at by everybody? Because yeah. otherwise, you, art just becomes elitist again, if you know what I mean, which is yeah. what we hopefully moved away from. Yeah. So we're still in like that half Yeah. it's accessible and half isn't. Because I like, under... In the storage of loads of galleries, they have they store a lot of paintings. Because mm-hmm. I remember I wanted to see one at Edinburgh mm-hmm. Gallery, and they said, "Oh, it's in storage, but if you wait like an hour or two, we can take you down to show you." Oh, but did like, you? No, I couldn't because I I Why? had to leave in like within like an hour of the time. I couldn't wait any longer. Oh. But I really wanted to because it was so nice of them. Yeah. Also, like that's quite take down storage. Yeah, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to steal something. I would never steal something, I wouldn't. (laughs) It's all right, wink, it's all right. (laughs) Yeah, just like, you know, if Edinburgh Gallery are listening to this, please hire me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm sure that's going to be the great great plug that you need to get the job there. Yep. Yeah. Um, so um, she was friends uh, with people such as Lily P. Bliss, Mary Quinn, uh, Mary Quinn Sullivan, um, and then kind of the three of them uh, all formed the Museum of Modern Art, the MoMA. Oh, yeah. Uh, but Didn't know she, that. yeah, there you go. Yeah. Haha. <laughs> uh, she had very little money to kind of like fund it all. Mm-hmm. Because all of her money came from her husband. I from the the from what I gathered from reading it, it was very much like a pocket money kind of thing. So he gave her some money every so often to go and do what he wished. But because mm. he didn't like modern art, Ooh. I don't think he quite liked the idea of her funding. Why did she like him then? I think she liked him for other things. I mean, I wouldn't. I'm like, how no. Just okay. I mean, that's a bit hard. Do <laughs> like differences, not not, you know. I mean, create mm, conversation. But in like, it's like if you were a penguin carer. What's the word? Keeper? Zookeeper? I'm wondering where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> like, and your partner hates penguins. Yeah. And your livelihood is working with penguins because you love penguins. There's a bit of a conflict there, isn't there? Yeah, but you don't just speak about. I mean, you know. but it's a big part of your life. Your job is. <laughs> yeah. I guess. He he also um apparently got very jealous of her attention that she gave to the artwork, which might have also been it. Hmm. You're not looking at me, you're looking at a painting. Literally. <laughs> she, he was also very jealous of their children because of how much attention she gave them. Goodness. I know. She's really not selling this problematic to me. But I suppose, you know, love, I love. guess. Money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it meant that she had to finance it from other people ah, okay. uh, to kind of... Who, who had an interest in the collection. Uh, she had many roles. Um, so she was treasurer, vice, uh, first vice president, first vice chairman. And then in 1939, her son Nelson uh, became the president and involved himself, involved himself in the funding of the gallery. So he in was really into it. president of the gallery? Yeah. Okay. No, like the president of the United States. I was going to say. The one we never heard of. <laughs> I mean, I don't know that many of them. Oh, okay, fair enough. Um, no, the president of, of the, the MoMA. 
She also organised the construction of a hotel. Oh, this is a random bit. She also can organise the construction of a hotel explicitly for business and professional women to stay in in oh, New York. That's very nice. I know. Um, apparently, she was, she was. I couldn't find many specific kind of things that she did for women, if you know what I mean. Other yeah. than like these offhand ones, she was very involved in the circles of people who would kind of discuss it uh, and mm-hmm. did things, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So, because she's listed as a uh, philanthropist, mm-hmm. but it's very hard to find, like, specific things that she did other than the, the large cheque and then yeah. funding this. In 1948, at age 73, uh, she passed away of a heart attack in the family home um, on Park Street in New York. And she's buried at Sleepy Hollow. <clears throat> so a year after um, her death... Uh, the uh, Abbey Aldrich Rockefeller print room opened at the MoMA, which housed the 1,600 prints that she'd um, given the museum uh, from her own collection. And she'd also given 181 paintings. Now, am I right to say that paintings and prints are not the same thing? Prints are copies of Mm -hmm. the paintings, is that right? Yeah. (laughs) I was a bit confused when I was reading it, because I was like, oh, I think it's... But no, cool. Uh, and then in 1953, uh, the Abbey Aldrich Rockefeller Sculpture Garden, named by her son, uh, was designed by Philip Johnson. Uh, he, Philip Johnson also designed the Abbey Rockefeller Gallery in Rhode Island School of Design Museum, where the Japanese woodblock prints, planks, wait, no, the woodblock prints, uh, she donated are located. Oh. So there you are. That is Abbey Rockefeller. Oh. Thank you. How much of that did you know? It's... I didn't know Bits. it all. Ooh, good. Yeah. Because I always worry when it comes to, like, art-related things that... I don't know everything. And you, you make it seem like you know everything. <laughs> to do it's with the a art. <laughs> <laughs> keep it up, keep it up. <laughs> we are Crime Crazy, the weekly true crime podcast with Erin Pline And Diana Seacon. Where we prove... That we know nothing about our legal system. Or shark's digestive systems. Or how many priests are necessary for an exorcism. Or the guillotine. Or how much milk can fit in a shopping cart. Or how to cook dicks. Or what it means when your nose itches. Or penguins. Or why it's called Scotland Yard. Or proper body disposal. Or sentencing. Or how to make it through an entire episode without saying God. How big does a rock have to be to be a boulder? Or geography. Or whether stingrays have teeth. Or crime in Minnesota. Or how medical parole works. Or why people text their crimes to each other. Or the hierarchy of cops. Or what a paper grabber is. Anything about an Alfred plea. The security at Buckingham Palace. If warrants expire. How to start a fire. How much drugs cost. If ducks would make good guard animals. Whether priests have to tell the police about crimes they are aware of and maybe even involved in. Pink stun guns. How much is 11 pounds of cocaine worth? The mechanics of hanging. What happened to Carla Homolka after her release? How to make a car fly. The colonial parkway killer. The swans migrate. Marital property laws in Florida. If horses can throw up. Do crocodiles hibernate? What animals can get drunk? How do you get stuck in window? Sharks live. International flight security. How do you typewriter into your prison cell? What you shouldn't bring to a robbery. But. We're still crazy for a good true crime story. If you don't know anything about these things either, you should come listen to Crime Crazy. Diana, do you have any advice for us? Yeah, you should subscribe to Crime Crazy. You can find us on iTunes or Google Play or Podbean or your podcast catcher of choice. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, WordPress, Facebook, Gmail, or Facebook. Call your people. Yes, call your people. And don't end up on next week's episode. All right, so who have you got then this week? I have Margaret Guggenheim, also known as Peggy Guggenheim. And Peggy. Um, 
I've heard of the Guggenheim. Yes. Yeah. But that's not... She didn't do that. That was her uncle. Misleading. I know. But okay. Because that's Solomon R. Guggenheim Mm -hmm. who made that. You say it as though I'm going to know... I'm going to recognise the name Solomon. I'm just saying. I don't know. Uh, Okay, so tell me about Peggy. Okay. She was born on August 26th in 1898 Mm -hmm. in New York Mm -hmm. into great wealth because... The Guggenheims are very wealthy from, like, mining industries oh. and stuff. And her brother... No, her father and his brother were, like, still in that businessy world. Mm-hmm. But her father actually died in Titanic. Whoa! Yeah. When she was, like, fifth, 14, 15, I think. What year was she born? 1988. 1898, sorry. 1898, yeah, so. Wait, I'm going to do the math, I'm going to do the math. 16? 14. 14. Damn it. <laughs> and her mother was Florette Seligman. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've she, never heard. Is no, she? No, cool. Me neither. But um, she, her family was known for its eccentricities and its social status. Right. So her father was Joseph Seg- Selig- Seligman. Mm-hmm. He was... A leading national financer in the Civil War. Okay. Era. Yep. I just thought that was... Involvement in Civil War, yeah, yeah. Claim to fame. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But Peggy described her childhood as guilt-edged. Whoa. Guilt-edged? Yeah. As in G-I-L-T. G... Guilt... I I don't know... isn't that like gold? Oh, okay. Mm. I think when like her entire childhood, she just felt guilty all the time. I'd be like, "Whoa, that's a lot." <laughs> okay, yeah. And um, there's quite a lot of quotes in my research from her because she wrote an autobiography. Oh, cool. So that's how most people know. Is that what you said? Because you said you wish that you'd have more time to research it. Yeah. Is that what you mean? You wish she'd had time to read the autobiography? Yes, I yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> um. But she, like, although they lived like royalty, mm-hmm. her and her two sisters, they were mostly left to themselves as the mother was quite neglectful and her philandering father, that is a quote, was often absent. Oh. And then, but she did like her father a lot. So quite, quite tragic then when he yeah. drowned. And she, she said that she had a nervous breakdown when he died. Oh. Does actually say in my notes that she was thirteen. You, and what do you imply by that? <laughs> no, it's just because I didn't mention how old it was when it was right underneath. Oh, so not you, it's me. Ah. <laughs> um, but her father had lost a lot of money, mm-hmm. and so they they felt quite poor and comparison to the other Guggenheims. When you say they felt quite poor... They were still pretty wealthy. Yeah. It was just... Oh, no, we we couldn't afford the the gold-plated work tops. Or the yacht. Or the yacht this summer. Mm. Yeah. Carry on. (laughs) Um, And then she said that after that she felt... She didn't feel like a Guggenheim anymore. Oh. Oh. Quite a knock to the... Uh, identity. Mm. Um, I mean, she kept the name. Yeah. <laughs> she started to reject reject her like bourgeoisie roots and oh, stuff. Oh, okay. 
And um, she shocked her family when she shaved her eyebrows off. Oh, amazing. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and she was, like, perceived as the black sheep. Because she shaved Gu- her eyebrows of off. the Guggenheim family. I love it. <laughs> That's how... Do you know how when that was? I think this was, like, in the 1910s-ish. Yeah, years. it feels like a very kind of... Teen. Teen <laughs> angst kind of thing to do. <laughs> I just love the idea of one day walking into the, the you know, elite Guggenheim family diner with no eyebrows. <laughs> and everyone just being like... Oh, okay, we're going through that phase. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. But she got financial independence when Mm. she got her inheritance when she was 21. Mm -hmm. So then she could... She started to work unpaid Mm -hmm. at a midtown Manhattan avant-garde bookstore called Sunwise Turn. Okay. And it was run by... Mary Hogan Mowbray Clark. What? <laughs> That's just just a long name. Yeah. Um, so that yeah, I was right. There was long names. There was some long names. Yeah. Um, and who was the wife of the sculptor John Frederick Mowbray Clark? Mm-hmm. And also Madge Gen- Jennison was part of the founder, who was a noted author and activist. So they, both women co-founded the bookshop, so it was one of the first women-owned bookshops in the country. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. I know. I feel like they deserve an episode. I know. But are we just going even more niche? Yeah. (laughs) So this week we're doing really specifically (laughs) women start, oh actually women started businesses would be an interesting one. Mm. Anyway, yeah. So the bookstore was a hub for avant-garde literature and uh-huh. socialist ideals. That sounds amazing. You know. And it also featured small art exhibitions of emerging artists. Oh, cool. And her cousin, Harold Loeb, mm-hmm. who was also an art critic, wrote that coming under Mary Clark's spell, Peggy gradually discarded many traditional taboos and adopted a whole set of new ones. I'm very proud of her. You know. I don't know whether it went down as well. Like, that seemed like quite a critique. But... Mm, I mean, I think she was just... Oh, yeah, because she started to feel guilty for having so much money. Yeah. Um. So she started to give it to um, poor artists and writers. Oh, I know. <laughs> so she... And she started to deny herself some of the luxuries that she was, like, accustomed to. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's really... You know Sweet. <laughs> um, so at the end of 1920, she moved to Paris, mm-hmm. where she explored Ooh. her interest in classical and Renaissance art, mm-hmm. saying that she managed to find, like, all, every painting in Europe, and she'd just go to, like, one town, in like, in the middle of nowhere, just to see one painting. Blimey. That's quite well, like a broad scope then of art, if you know what I mean. Mm. She was looking, she was funding contemporary art. She worked at somewhere that specialised in the avant-garde. She then mm-hmm. moved went to Paris to look at classical Renaissance. Yeah, so a lot of different kind of. Mm-hmm. But like I when, like but in the nineteen twenties, mm-hmm. that's when Paris was that big. Yeah, like, art thingy was just like it's starting. Like, was it just? 1920s Paris was like just culture really concentrated wasn't it yeah. is that too broad a statement but I feel no like... I think I think it's very like over over romanticized mm-hmm. but I mean I kind of like 
<laughs> seep into that point. Okay. Because there's a really great essay by F. Scott Fitzgerald mm-hmm. about the 20s, mm-hmm. and he sort of says, like, on the outside, it's kind of this really, like, extravagant and amazing, everyone's partying all the time, and amazing artworks are being created, mm-hmm. but then, like, you get further down into the people who are there, and everyone's just, like, sad and broken. Whoa. And it's oh. very lonely. Because he was living there with, um, I'm going to get a name wrong, his wife. Zelda. Zelda, yeah. yeah. Uh, at that time, was it? Or... I know it was sometime after, in the yeah. uh, decade. Yeah. Whoa. Really interesting. That does sound like a fun read, actually. Mm-hmm. So she, she she became close friends with some avant-garde writers. Mm-hmm. So she's still got this... Yeah. But it's quite interesting that she was still interested in classical stuff. I suppose it's just like... like um, so, like, if you read a lot, if you know what I mean, you can yeah. enjoy kind of old classical pieces which are in the canon, but you can also enjoy kind of... Yeah, new, I guess it's new things. seeing where it started. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And the people she became close to were Romaine Brooks, Juna Barnes, Natalie Barney, and Marcel Duchamp. I don't know any of these names. Marcel Duchamp is the guy who did New Descending Staircase. Okay. I showed you that the other day. Um, you did? I oh, did. Whoa. And he did in the <clears throat> urinal. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And they became, well, specifically Duchamp, mm-hmm. they became lifelong friends and he was a mentor. Yeah. And she said that he taught me everything that I know about modern art. Wow, that's quite a broad statement. I know. I feel like she did know some. Yeah. Because she, she, she's working in avant-garde yeah. literary thing, so... And then, yeah, she she knew more, but I, it was like a, the sentiment behind it. Yeah. So, um, I really enjoy this story. Okay. <laughs> Is it, um, so, at the age of 23, mm-hmm. wanting to lose what she called her burdensome virginity, she became involved with the artist and writer Lawrence Bale, who was dubbed the King of Bohemians. Oh, God. Um, she, so, she described it like... The, the boyfriend she'd had in early in like America were all too too nice to sleep with her. Right. <laughs> so she she was like very she this is her quote. She says, I had a collection of photographs of frescoes that I had seen at Pompeii. Right. They depicted me- people making love in various positions and of course I was very curious and wanted to try them all out myself. Yikes. <laughs> I mean not yikes, but oh you know, I mean, it worked well for her. So yeah, well, I'm I'm very pleased. So um, Lawrence Vale, when he was very startled by her forwardness, yeah, so obviously she's well, like brought up in this very bourgeoisie and also the American time. Life and early 20th <laughs> century. Um, so he visited her home in Paris when her mother was out, and he tried to make a move. And was taken aback by as soon as she said yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> so he backtracked. Was oh. like, um, your mom might come home at any moment, so, um, uh, you know, you can come round to my hotel sometime. And so she was like, I'll fetch my hat, we're going now. Oh, my God. <laughs> but he was like, oh, no, oh, wasn't prepared. <laughs> and then two years later, they got married. Well, good. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad it all worked out for her, but that's, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Please tell me, like, there has been some kind of, like, parody made of kind of I that. Kind I honestly of... have no idea. But apparently she had, she slept with a lot of people mm-hmm. in her life. Mm-hmm. 
Like there's a there's a quote that someone says she slept with about a thousand people, I d- men and women. I'm not. Ooh, I'm not 100 percent sure if a thousand is accurate. I know, but, but I. It was it's a lot. A lot. <laughs> Just as soon as basically like the virginity the virginity was gone, she was like, yes, mm. love it, love it. They had two children mm-hmm. called Sinbad and Peggyn. Called what now? <laughs> Sinbad and Peggyn. Sinbad. And Sinbad. Sinbad and. Pegim. Pegim, yeah. Pegim, okay. It's lovely names. I did, yeah. <laughs> what was what was his name? The who she was with? Um La- Lawrence. Lawrence, yeah, okay. Yeah, Vale. Pegim sounds like Peggy, and I was really hoping that Sinbad <laughs> somehow related to his name. <laughs> nope. Um but the marriage was marked with Intense conflict. He was physically abusive. Oh. And there was, um, I think they cheated on each other. Okay. So they got divorced in 1928. Most of her relationships were all quite difficult, mm-hmm. marked with like fidelity, husbands who diminished her, like mm-hmm. mostly because they were threatened because she had so much money and they were quite yeah. dependent on her. Mm-hmm. And like obviously at the time, question of masculinity. Oh, yeah. I mean, at the time as well as mm-hmm. yeah. yeah but then she fell in love with the writer John Farah Holmes okay and they went travelling together mm-hmm. uh, for I think it was two years and they she's, she says they must have gone to at least 20 countries and covered 10 million miles of ground I mean is this like her like this 10 million miles of ground is this also like the thousands of people she slept with is it a little bit exaggerated do you reckon I don't think that the, the Earth is that big, is it? I mean, you can cover land more than once. Mm. I just don't know how big the Earth is. I feel like 10 million miles is is way bigger than it actually is. I don't... Now we're just offending all the geography and physics. <laughs> <laughs> so, how, how, sorry, how... How many miles did she travel? She said they must have covered 10 million miles. I think okay. it's more of like a flipping statement than like we did ten thousand miles and I had my whatever. pedometer set. <laughs> uh, whoa! So uh, the Earth is twenty four thousand nine hundred and one miles. Yeah, so that's so very, the, very out. That's the circumference. But if you think like so, that's walking around the world, if you know what I mean, just in mm. one straight line all the way around. But a if, million. Though. Yeah, yeah, valid point. It's a lot. Yeah. We're focusing way too much on this. We are. (laughs) Holmes, who was a severe alcoholic, he died suddenly during a routine surgical procedure. Oh. Yeah, and then, so... she had one good good thing. I know. So she moved in with Douglas Garman. Who's Douglas Garman? I don't know. Okay. But um, they had... um, Oh, yeah, he's relevant because... When their relationship, they were together for a year after the death. Her and oh yeah, okay. Um, and then she, when they broke up, she was she said that she was at a loss for an occupation because she'd been nothing but a wife for fifteen years. Oh gosh, that's quite sad. No, could she not get a job back at the bookshop? That's in America. Oh no. But but then okay. Um. She starts thinking about making a publishing company or an Ooh. art gallery from the inhabit- inheritance she got from her mum's death. Can I make a guess? Does she do the art gallery one? 
Considering we're talking about women who made the art gallery scene in New York. Yes. Yep. <laughs> what a guess. <laughs> um, so she opened the Guggenheim Juna Gallery in London in okay. 1938. Mm-hmm. Um, and Duchamp helped to like create it and do the exhibitions and stuff. He mm-hmm. helped her a lot. Um, and the first show was 30 of John Courteau's drawings. Okay. Um, that I am sure I read a story where it got it. They were sending it from somewhere, but it got held up in a tiny little airport in the UK because it had pubic hairs and like oh amazing um, genitals drawn on it and stuff. And what did what? Because <laughs> they were like, uh, so they had to go to this other place and collect it and bring it back to the gallery in time. <laughs> Is this like a censoring shit thing, isn't it? It's like how... Yeah. Um, what was it? Lady Chatterley's Lover. That was... There were hundreds of copies of that just at airports because they'd been confiscated from people's luggage. <laughs> yeah, so was Lolita. Yeah, understandably. Mm-hmm. But... Whoa. Mm. <laughs> Can you imagine having to walk into the airport? Walking to the airport, and uh, yes, we're here to collect some luggage that couldn't be shipped to us. Oh yes, which one? The the the, the pubic. Yeah, that one. Yeah, that one. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um. So Kin- Kandinsky mm-hmm. had his first solo exhibition mm-hmm. in Britain at her gallery, and there was she held a lot of group exhibitions for sculpture and collage, so like Henry Moore, Pablo Picasso, George Brack. And then she began her practice of purchasing at least one artwork from each exhibition. Oh, cool. To build her own collection. That's actually quite a nice way of doing it. Mm -hmm. So the first work she bought was Jean Arp's Shallon Head Mm -hmm. from 1933, which she said she fell in love with it Mm. and she instantly felt like she needed to own it. Of course. Very American. Very American. I think that's just very... Western, like yeah, white capitalist, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so um, she also freely explored her own sexuality, mm-hmm. having hundreds of affairs and brief encounters with so many artists. Love it, yeah. Like uh, Samuel Beckett and Tan Guy. Tan. The gallery was a critical success, but it lost some money mm-hmm. in the first year, so she thought that a contemporary art museum would be a better route. Mm-hmm. So she closed it in 1939 and then travelled to... Oh. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she, right, she planned to make a museum with the art historian Herbert Reed, mm-hmm. who he gave her, like, a list of artworks to like go and get from Paris, which she went to for like the first exhibition they had. But while she was there, um, obviously 1939 and on September 1st, World War II broke out. But undeterred by this, she went and bought all the paintings that she she wanted that were on the lift. Because like most of the artists were like panicking a bit so they wanted mm-hmm. to just sell everything so they could have the money to escape that's the, so sad the nazis so i think she got um the quote is the nucleus of one of the great modern art collections with only forty thousand dollars whoa yeah so there's like picasso 
Man Ray, Salvador Dali, Magritte. Yeah. Lots, lots of famous ones. That's awful that, like... I mean, obviously, there's many more tragedies than just that, but, mm. like, that people panicked so much, they just... Like, things that they poured their heart and soul into just had to go, yeah, I get rid of it, so mm. that I've got... I can leave with my life. Yeah. She was still in Paris when it was invaded in 1940. Mm. So she very quickly made arrangements to preserve her collection. Mm -hmm. So she decided to ship them to the United States as household items. So she packed them with, like, casserole dishes and bedding and, like, all by boat. So she managed to, like, ship them all to America. And she went back to New York with Max Ernst, who then, who was an artist, who we then, she then married. And then in New York, she opened her Art of This Century Gallery. Okay. Which had dedicated sections to surrealism, kinetic art, cubist, and abstract art. Again, more and more, like, different genres of... Yeah. Um, So there's a quote by the art historian Dor Ashton. Mm Mm-hmm who said her gallery was one of the first international galleries in New York City mixing American and European art. Amazing. Because a lot of that art grew to fame Yeah. through her bringing it to America, I think. Whoa. Mm. Whoa. So at the premiere of the gallery, <laughs> she she wore one earring made for her by Calder, who mm-hmm. I'm guessing is an artist, and another by Yves Tangai to express her equal commitment to the schools of art she, support, she supported. Oh, I love that. No, that's amazing. amazing. Yes. So she wanted the gallery to be like a very modern experience. Mm-hmm. So some of the paintings were hung on like universal joints so the, so people could come and like turn them oh. so you could see them from different angles and stuff. Whoa. This is like... Cause that- that's like an interactive... Yeah. It's really, like, for everybody. That's mm-hmm. amazing. And there was, like, the lights would change and mm-hmm. sometimes, like, the, the lighting would just go in complete darkness. I don't think that's the best option for an art gallery, but I might, no. you know, be wrong. And this, this is very interesting. And the furniture acted both as seats as well as easels for painting. What? So I don't, I don't quite understand how that would work, but, you know... Leave that to the imagination. But, oh, okay. I'm not sure, were the people painting them with their bodies? I don't... The people were the canvases. Oh. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she became a patron, of a very early patron of Jackson Pollock, mm-hmm. who she provided him a monthly stipend. Um, with what? Stipend. What does that mean? I think it's like rental, oh, like okay. money to live by. Oh, okay. Um... And, like, did his first commission and his first exhibition. So, I know, it made me think about how, as much as the artist is, like, part of their art, mm-hmm. the the people who find it are also quite a big part of it. Yeah. Because if she hadn't have done that, then he might have been, like, completely unknown. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, like, a lot of things. Well, yeah, most, most things are just basically, were they found by people with the... Kind of like money to make them found, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So. So her art of this century mm-hmm. was apparently the place where the New York school could be seen and, like, the New York school of art, mm-hmm. kind of. And I think that's the movement, but it was where, like, 
it was the foundation where everything started hmm. kind of thing. And then in 1942, she did an exhibition that was 31 women. Just <laughs> Oh, no, it was called Exhibition by 31 Women. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> and it was the first exhibition solely devoted to women artists. Oh, amazing. And though it did have some unexpected personal consequences. so I cannot imagine why. <laughs> so one of the artists was Dorothea Tanning. She fell in love with Max Ernst. Um around the time when they were together. Ooh. So. Ooh, scandalous. Uh, yeah, so they got a divorce. <clears throat> um, and then she said that she should have had 30 women. That was my mistake. Oh, <laughs> that wasn't the, the, like, the big mistake I thought was, I thought there was going to be quite a lot of um, scrutiny from other people, which is mm. going to be the reason why it, it came under like public. Yeah. yeah. But no, that's, um, ooh, that's quite a, snappy thing to say isn't it you know so and then she so in that she moved to venice Mm -hmm. um after this so Mm -hmm. it was about 1946 um so she published her autobiography Mm -hmm. which is called out of this century confessions of an art addict i like it even a good title um and her family were very dismayed by it and they tried to unsuccessfully uh, buy all the copies so no one would what? read it. Um, Why? Um, but the critical response was equally as dismissive. Oh, great. So, so like, it was after this was published that they then went to Venice so she could get a new start. Okay. So she, I think she closed that gallery in New York mm-hmm. and then moved to Venice, which mm-hmm. she called the City of Her Dreams. In 1948, the the Venice Biennale, the big art festival, okay. invited her to exhibit her collection. 